Welcome back to American Publicans, a pod for U.S. soccer fans by a couple of U.S. soccer fans. And we are back as the U.S. men's national team has wrapped up round four of octagonal World Cup qualifying fixtures. I'm Nate. He's Joe. And we've got a special episode for you this time around. We're joined by one of the co-hosts of our sponsor podcast. We've got Sam from Pot on You Loons. Welcome, guys. Yeah. Hey, Nate. Hey, Joe. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thanks for being here. So we've got to thank you, Sam, because you got me into podcasting in that you've invited me on Pot on You Loons a number of times. And it just so happens that right after one of the times that I was appeared on your podcast, Joe sent me a text and he and I have known each other for a long time, but hadn't talked in a while. And he says, so what do you know about podcasting? I said, (laughs) well, funny you should say that because I was just on a podcast. What do you want to know? And thus, American Podligans was born. So thank you, Sam, for creating our podcast inadvertently hey that's great you know you've been on even though you're not a minnesota united fan you've been on our podcast several times lending that lending that dreamy voice of yours nate and of course the soccer knowledge right the soccer knowledge is why we invited you on in the first place but it's just it's a good time it's it's a good time i had met you once before inviting you on to pot on you loons but I didn't really remember meeting you. Justin had to remind me that I met you before at, at his wedding. And, and then, of course, it all it all clicked. But we've become good friends since then. Yeah, it's been. Uh, I, I, I've become good friends with your friend Cameron from Seattle since then. Like, it's just. I mean, I guess I should take credit for then upping the level of discourse on Pot on Your Loons. Because I know between you and between Cam and I, we've just, I've, t- I've taught you guys history lessons. We've done it all. <laughs> you it you all. have, you have. Came for the soccer knowledge, stayed for the dreamy voice. Got a whole bunch of history lessons in between. So Sam, I got to ask you first, we started our initial episode by talking about a couple of our kind of origin stories, if you will. So I'll, I'll clump these together for you. What's your origin story in brief? What got you into rooting for the U.S. men's national team? And then what is your favorite U.S. men's national team memory or moment? Uh, yeah, so I guess my earliest memory wouldn't actually be the men's national team. It would have been the 1999 Women's World Cup, when that sort of took the U.S. by storm. I I remember the 94 Men's World Cup going on, and I think I had a Game Gear game back then about it, but didn't didn't really follow it the way that a lot of people uh, did in 94. But 99 was fun. Probably didn't pay much attention to soccer after that. Went to England in 2008 and became a big Chelsea fan. And then... That next World Cup, the 2010 World Cup in South Africa, was probably the first men's World Cup that I really watched a lot. 2014 in Brazil would have watched it a lot. Favorite memory, though, this this might be a weird one. I'm going to say 2016 Copa America. Just I was living in Madison at the time. I I kind of took a break from living in the Twin Cities where 
where I had been living and where I am living now, I, I took a break and went back to my hometown of Madison and I played in a rec soccer league and we would, and I had an, I had another friend uh, who was really into the U S men's national team. And we basically, we would go to, I think it was called the red zone where the American outlaws met. We watched every game of the Copa America that year at, at the red zone, had a blast doing it. That, that really was what, made me uh, realize how much fun soccer supporter culture could be within the United States. And of course I, after that year, I moved back to Minnesota, kind of, kind of get engaged and settle down and soon have a kid. And so I'm, I'm not going and hanging out with the American outlaws anymore, but that really was a great time. And uh, I'll, I'll cherish that, cherish that forever. Very nice. I think it's, I was just thinking about this. I think it's interesting how lost that 16 Copa America gets in U.S. soccer history because of what happened. And I think it's because of what happened in 2018. But to go to the semifinals, and granted, we got sloshed in the semifinals of that tournament. But to go to the semifinals, like that was a coming out party in some respects for the national team. The tournament was here. I had tickets to a number of the games out in San Jose. I was living in California but it just gets lost. Nobody talks about it anymore. U.S. soccer was building at that point. I mean, it was building momentum, lots of momentum, I thought. Um, getting more coverage, more national coverage. And then, yeah, like you said, 2018 kind of brought it crumbling down quick. Um, but, yeah, I think that was a, a big moment just in our in the momentum of U.S. soccer. For sure. So we're not here to talk about, I mean, we're here to talk about the past, but we're not here to talk about the distant past. We're here to talk about the recent past, and that is the most recent three matches for the national team that rounded out round four of octagonal World Cup qualifying in CONCACAF. So this is a little weird for me to tee up because I was there. So it's like I'm asking myself a question. You were there. I was there. So the... Nate, what were your thoughts on attending? The fleezer, the the fleezer, the freezer that was a pleaser. The tussle in the tundra. Anyway. I mean, if you... It looked fun. It was fun. It was, I had a good time. I had a good time. I stayed warm. I have... Ten, ten here, ten fingers. Yep, you guys can yeah, see them. Ten they're fingers. All there. Yep, they're all there. I can confirm. Yep, my nose is still here. My ears are still here. Uh, toes are still there. My toes were actually the thing that got the coldest throughout the throughout the evening. But um, yeah, I think. I mean, am I glad that there was a World Cup qualifier here that I got to attend? Absolutely. Am I glad we got three points? Absolutely. And I don't think they should have played it here. I think that was stupid for any number of reasons. And I'm not just talking about the Honduran players that had to get subbed off because of the cold. But I think that it's, it just like, it shows the mindset and we'll talk, I'll talk about it later. I'm sure shows the mindset of where we are right now under the triple G regime that it's like a race to the bottom rather than making the best use of what we have. Like, we should beat Honduras at least three nil 
in literally every city in the United States 10 times a week. Like there's, there's no reason we should have lost that game. So there is no reason we needed to play that game in St. Paul outside in negative, whatever it was, windshield. But did I have a good time? Yes. Did I drink any beer at the stadium? No, because I took one look at people carrying around half frozen beers. Ooh. I had a friend who had some beer slosh on him and it was just frozen to his jacket. Like by the time it hit his jacket, it was frozen and it just stuck there. Yeah, I saw a video of uh, they have little cup holders in front of you on the seats in some of the sections, I guess. And they showed four or five drinks and one was frozen and, and coming out at the top of the can. The other one was a slosh in a, in a, um, on a red Solo cup, but a plastic cup. Um, yeah, it looked miserable to drink. Time to get out the harder stuff, I guess. Yeah, there you go. For like twenty five dollars for a shot of Jameson or whatever it would be. No, thank you. It's Just worth it. You'd feel drink, warmer. Drink when I get home. I had a nice scotch when I got home. I warmed up. Did a little bit of this. Probably a lot of that. So, like, it looked really cold, and I I have a Wednesday night obligation that I, I go to every week. So, kind and I could have gotten out of it, but the cold combined with I already had something else going on made me decide. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna just let this one happen. I went to the Gold Cup the last time it was here. I saw the U.S. Women's National Team come through. Um, not the most recent time, but the time before that when they're at U.S. Bank Stadium. So I I did not feel the need to go. I did want to go, and I was jealous of the people that went. I don't think it was a good idea to have the game in St. Paul in February, but I also don't like it when they host games in Orlando or Texas in the middle of the summer. And as someone that has been to Lambeau, right? Like I've sat through Lambeau in temperatures similar to what was experienced at Allianz the other day. I, I don't know. Like, I, I get that the rest of the world is fine with the heat that you'd experience in Orlando or Texas in the middle of the summer. I'm not. That sounds miserable. Being in Orlando at that time of the year sounds miserable. Being at Allianz this time of year doesn't sound great, but yeah, and I, and I get I'm a, I'm a born and born and raised northerner saying this, so <laughs> you can all you can all just kind of tease me for it, but I I don't know. It just to me, it seemed like people were being a little bit silly in the reactions, but I also can understand. I think that's one of the big parts of that. And we should beat Honduras anywhere. Like you said, Nate, we should beat them anywhere, anytime. Oh, for um, sure. But one of the big parts was, and they said at the beginning of the broadcast, was that the Honduran coach was like, he, he made a comment. He said, why are we even here? We're knocked out of the, the qualifying. We can't qualify, and then we're playing this game. I mean, their their mentality was pretty much checked out, which, you know, is going to help us any way you put it. Um, and now they're miserable. They don't want to be there. A must-win game for us. I thought it ended up being a nice little um, – yeah, I'm tired too. A nice little um, – What's the word I want, guys? Help me out. We can edit this. Nate, sorry. Win. Pick me up. No. What would you say, Sam? Pick me up. 
everything came together. Everything came together and, and we got the win. Um, you know, the cold weather didn't really matter. Honduras was not interested in being there and we got the three points. So we move on. Yeah, I think, you know, and to get into the match a little bit, I think that, and I was still trying to get in the stadium because I was like, oh, I'll just time it to be there right at National Anthem, which meant that I got in eight minutes into the match. So I was still like scanning my ticket as we scored. But the fact that we scored eight minutes in, definitely, like the longer that that match would have gone 0 0, the, the more nervy it would have been. But the fact that we scored early and they were, you know, pretty just disinterested from the start, I think took the wind out of their sails. And it was a, you know, it was, it was obviously one way traffic. The most that Matt Turner did the entire night was run sprints back and forth. And again, I commented on it after the match. But, you know, he did more work in that match running sprints to stay warm than he will do in most matches, I'm sure. Uh, but he certainly didn't have any part to play, which is nice. But I think that, you know, we scored early. The second in the first half, you know, took the wind out of their sails. And, you know, it was telling that the official blew for halftime after a minute of stoppage time when there was multiple first half injuries, there were multiple second half stoppages. Like nobody was interested in prolonging that at all. So, which is fine. Totally fine. And Hey, credit to Allianz for showing up. Right. I watched it on TV. Allianz seemed loud. It was packed. Everyone on social media seemed to be having a really good time. I actually haven't really heard, you know, yourself included, Nate, you said you had a fun time and you even said you weren't drinking. It sounds like everyone that went had a really good time. Yes, everyone would have rather it been, say, above freezing um, or at least close to just freezing uh, rather than so far below zero. But people had a good time. It seemed loud. You could hear the chants on TV. It, it, it was a good showing for Minnesota. And I, I don't know, guys, do you think do you think U.S. soccer will take Minnesota into consideration going forward for this? Based on turnout, yeah. I think they'll be wary of the temperatures next time. But based on turnout, absolutely. It's going to be a 95% pro-U.S. crowd. That's what we want every time. That's why we go to Columbus, because it's a pro crowd. Um, we're looking for but those stadiums. Will, will they be wary of the temperature? I mean, everything worked out well for them this time i mean it gets it depends what, on what the, the cycle is right so typically qualifiers aren't held at this time of year sure t- with a typical i mean and we're not going to have qualifiers until 2030 we don't have to qualify next time we're hosting so we're not going to have qualifiers for another eight years um so it doesn't matter like will you look at would you look at Allianz for a host city for, you know, the gold, gold cup? cup? Absolutely. It was Panama came and played here. The U S played here. Yeah. Right. That, so, that one. Um, you know, I think that, that it, I mean, I love the stadium. Uh, don't get me wrong. It's, it's a great soccer stadium. It's one of the better ones that I've been to. Uh, and it was great that the atmosphere was there even given the cold. And I think that that just means that, you know, hopefully U.S. soccer continues to give it a look and hopefully they give it a look at a time that's not 10 below. 
I will say, to, just to correct the record, to set the record straight, if you will, you never said that I wasn't drinking. I just said that I didn't drink at the game. <laughs> okay. It's true. Nate, I'm going to cut to our next part here without a uh, precursor from you. Um, Cause I want to, I'm, I'm thinking about it right now. When I was watching the broadcast, one of the first stats they put up in the left corner was our set piece goals in qualifying. We were at a goose egg. Okay. And I remember seeing that stat and I remember looking up at it and being like, man, I have to put that in the next podcast. I have to talk about this. This is, that's, I don't want to say our bread and butter, but we've scored a lot of goals from set pieces, a lot of big goals from set pieces. Um, John Brooks comes to mind. Um, so the fact that we went into that game with zero and came out with three set piece goals, I think is, is, is a big confidence boost in that department. And that'll, you know, my man of the match has a lot to do with that too. So, but I'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. I think that, you know, this was going to be a match that was won on set pieces. And that was my concern coming in was, would that be a, shooting ourselves in the foot type of situation not even looking at what our stats were coming into the match in terms of set piece goals and qualifying but just a you're bringing a much more skilled team into a match which is going to be decided on set pieces which means it could be a coin flip now did we prevent Honduras from getting many dangerous set pieces yes did we take care of them yeah great uh, and we made ourselves dangerous. And I think that there's a, I'm, I'm guessing you're going to pick Acosta as your man of the match. I think there's a really great argument to be made for him being man of the match, given the service that he had. And I think there's a really great argument to have about what role he should play moving forward with the team and whether or not he should have a ticket booked to Qatar because of his service in that match and showing what he was capable of, especially given how poor service has been on set pieces so far through qualifying, which is frankly unacceptable if you ask me to have that. I mean, we didn't even come close in either the El Salvador or Canada matches. Like nothing was even close. So yeah, that's, you know, I think that, that it was a, it was a game tailor made for set pieces and I'm glad that we took advantage of that. And I do think that that's a confidence point moving forward. Sam, you got anything? Uh, my man of the match is Matt Turner. <laughs> I'm clean sheet. Got a clean sheet. <laughs> Give it to him. I didn't even look up. How many shots did he have to save? None. No, none. none. Okay. Never mind. Never mind. Good Not job. Shot. Good job. Right. Did they even have a it, shot? Not even on goal. Did they have cool. a shot? I think they had like two. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Good job, Matt. Good job. Steph, Stefan's I mean, still the man, but presence. good job in that game. His presence, just, it was enough. Yeah. Was Watching enough. him try to stay warm was amazing. It was hard to watch. I've been there. When you're freezing and you can't do much, it's it's tough, man. I, I Props to him. He hung in there tough, got his wind sprints in, got a clean but sheet. It, it was inspiring, though. It was inspiring. And that's, why, and that's why he's my man of the match. He led by example. Perfect. Perfect. Mine is mine is Acosta. You're right. Mine is Acosta. I thought um, his his set piece deliveries were in danger zones every time, which is what we need. Put it in the mixer and make something happen. They were they were great. 
what worries me is it was against a Honduras team. He's playing Tyler Adams' position. He's playing Polisic's um, set-piece deliveries uh, against a Honduran team that's, like I said before, might have been checked out. So I'd, I'd like to see Acosta in a – not necessarily the next three games, but I'd like to see him in an important game and see what he looks like then. I still think Tyler Adams is a man in that position. But he he did what he had to do. He, I mean, with Pulisic and Adams out, Acosta stepped up, controlled the midfield, and uh, made some good crosses, made some good deliveries. Yeah, I think. I mean, like I say, he did. He definitely deserves consideration for me. I think the thing that you know is a limiting factor for him is he plays a position primarily that uh, is signed sealed delivered with Tyler Adams stamp on it. You're not going to displace Tyler Adams at this point. If you're Kellen Acosta and there's little to no reason he should start at either of the other two central midfield positions, given what we have as options there. And my man of the match is Luca De La Torre who showed, I think that he should be the second choice consideration either at the eight or the 10. If for some reason McKenney can't start a match, then De La Torre needs to be the eight. And if you're going to give Musa a break or he's not able to start a match, then he needs to be at the 10. Uh, I don't think that you try and slide Pulisic or Giorena if he's healthy into that 10 slot. I think that you've got three guys for two positions. I think you need to pen those guys into the World Cup roster, watching the different things that De La Torre was able to do. And I think that he moves the ball better than mckenny and musa do in terms of cycling he was picking out passes but also choosing times to drive forward i think that mckenny and musa get a little bit one-dimensional in that respect sometimes i also think that he did it mostly playing between the width of the boxes which is as a coach what i like to see from an eight or a ten as a box box midfielder i don't want to see them sliding out wide as much but I think that, you know, he just showed his quality again. Is it against lower competition? Yes. Do I want to see him prove it against Mexico or Panama or Costa Rica coming up? Absolutely. Do I want to see Kellen Acosta get a run against one of those teams? Absolutely. But I think that both of those guys proved that they are worthy of more than a look moving forward. So we've got our updated table. Uh, Canada running away one point from qualification uh, at 25 points, first place. United States at 21, tied with Mexico, but ahead on goal differential. Panama on 17, Costa Rica one behind at 16, and then El Salvador, Jamaica, and on Honduras, uh, for all intents and purposes, I mean, that two of those teams are eliminated. I think El Salvador actually is too. No, they could technically come back. They could catch Panama, but highly unlikely. So my question for you guys is, looking at that table, it really is, uh, it, it is now a five-horse race for three spots and then one qualifier against Oceana. Who is more dangerous, Panama or Costa Rica? Panama is more dangerous. 
because that game happens before Costa Rica does. And that's why I say it's more dangerous. Um, if we lose to Panama, um, our chances of making it are, are, are hurting. So Panama is definitely more dangerous being that we had to play them before Costa Rica. If it was the other way around, if we had to play Costa Rica before Panama, I'd probably say Costa Rica. So I think it, it really depends on the order of play there. I know one's home and one's away, but that Panama game still scares me. Yeah, it's a tough question. I I almost want to say they're they're one in the same, not that they're the exact same team, but they're separated by a point. We have to play both of them in the upcoming what do you call are, are we calling it round? Is it the upcoming round? Yep. Sure. We have, we have both teams coming up in our final 3 games. R- really for for a final 3 games, this isn't setting the United States up great. So the three teams we have to play, two of them are away, and all three of them are in the top five. All right, so we play Mexico away, we play Panama at home, and we play Costa Rica away. That is a tough, right? That That is a tough draw for the United States for the final three games. Which one is scarier at this moment between Panama and Costa Rica? Well, I guess Costa Rica is away. They're they're a point further away from Panama in, in terms of threatening. But then again, Costa Rica doesn't necessarily have a great uh, final three games either. I, it, it's it's tough. It's it's one in the same. I I know I'm supposed to be a pundit and have some bold claim, but really it's. Pick one, Sam. I will pick Costa Rica. They are hot right now. They are hot right now. Okay. You can see the United States screwing things up. (laughs) 2018 is way too fresh. You can see the United States screwing things up. And you could see Costa Rica staying hot. Hopefully they fizzle out before then. I mean, obviously, this is... And I'm sure Joe will have a nice survivor reference for us coming up here pretty quick. But, you know, for me, it is Panama and it's Panama for two reasons. One is our track record in the second match of qualifying rounds where we play three games has been terrible. We could review. We drew Canada 1-1 in a game that we might have lost at home in the first round of qualifying we lost at panama in the second round and then we lost at canada in round four so we have one point of a possible nine from the middle game of three the second game the middle game we have one point of a possible nine from the middle game of those three game rounds the other reason that i think panama is more dangerous is that we're going to go to Costa Rica potentially with a ton of pressure hanging over us. We're going to play a Costa Rica team that is super old and has not looked great in the third game of rounds. I just think that Panama's hungrier. They want it. You know, Costa Rica's made a good run, uh, but that Panama team is much more dangerous especially given the fact that we just seem to have hangovers in the second match of these three game rounds. The other thing to look at is 
this Mexico team. They lose Lozano to a separated shoulder. Who knows how long he might be out for. Presumably he'd be back for that match. Shoulder injury. But is Mexico in any sort of trouble, do we think? At 21 points, they're equally as vulnerable as the United States. Uh, but they've got a little bit easier road, other than the fact that they play the U.S. at home in uh, game one, fixture one of the next round. You guys think Mexico's in any sort of trouble? Similar to the United States, right? In the same way the United States is in trouble. Is Mexico a better team than... Let, let me rephrase that. Is Mexico a top four CONCACAF team? Absolutely. Is Mexico a top three CONCACAF team? Absolutely. But this qualifier is a dogfight. The U.S. is vulnerable. Mexico is vulnerable. Will both of them make it? Probably. Is it reasonable to suggest that one of them won't? Absolutely. And especially if you include that fourth place spot that has to go over to New Zealand or presumably New Zealand. Absolutely. Mexico and the United States should be watching these next three games intently. Mexico and the United States should be going in knowing that they have to perform if they want to survive. Straight up. As far as injuries go, Mexico has what it takes to replace anyone. Let, let's, let's just see what happens when they go into this dogfight. Yeah, I think that that first game, the USA-Mexico game, is going to be obviously massive because each team knows that a loss to the other team hurts them badly for this qualifying. I'm not, I don't think Mexico is in trouble, though, and here's why. Okay, if we go in and we beat Mexico, that's massive. Um, but Mexico's last two games are against both the teams that are out. I know it's World Cup qualifying, and it probably doesn't matter, but those two games should be wins for Mexico. Honduras should and be. El Salvador, right? Yes, that, Honduras and lot. El Salvador, yes. Those should be two wins for Mexico without too much problem. Now, I get it. It's World Cup qualifying, and the pressure's on, and let's not talk about Trinidad and Tobago, but, you know, it, it can happen. But I think Mexico is not in trouble, if you want me to answer the question. I don't think they're in trouble. And I think that just makes that first match even more interesting. I think they qualify, but I think that I actually think that if the U S approaches that first match as a, we can take three points, then they have the potential to go down and take three points. The, the matches that I've watched Mexico play, I think it'd be interesting to see what the capacity is at Azteca for that one, because they have not looked good with empty stadiums. They've had empty stadiums for different reasons, but they've not looked good with empty stadiums and they are definitely vulnerable at home. So I'd love to see us go take three points. But you also got to look at Trinidad and Tobago. I mean, you can't say, you know, eliminated teams have nothing to play for because 
the opportunity to knock a USA or a Mexico out of the World Cup is like a World Cup final if you're a team that's already eliminated, especially if you're playing at home. It's a great point. Yeah, very true. So be interesting to see what kind of teams those, those two teams field against Mexico. All right, so let's look quickly at the other two matches of this round four. Match day two was a 2 nothing loss to Canada. The early goal off the sort of busted uh, goal kick leads to the kind of 2v2. Nice one-two, puts Kyle Laren in, he scores, and then they obviously get the the second right before uh you know full time what do you guys think in terms of watching this you know joe and i we talked about the just clear difference tactically for canada in the first matchup that was 1-1 does that give us any room for pause seeing it happen again my immediate reaction was disgust. And I mean, our text messages would show that if we could show a, a screenshot of it. I was disgusted by it. And I just felt like we kept turning them, turning them over. And, and, you know, for as much as people made fun of Burhalter saying we controlled that game, there was a part of me that was like, how are we not winning this game? Our final third was pathetic. And then somebody put a tweet out, uh, hashtag Burhalter out put this perfect thing together and it just absolutely made sense talking about how it's Burhalter ball and he puts the he he holds the reins back on on turnovers and doesn't let us go um we have to be organized before we go I get it you don't want to turn it right back over and not have formation and cause a counterattack the other way I, I understand it my immediate reaction was uh red button Burhalter eight like this is we this can't we can't lose two nothing at Canada with a with a, with them without Alfonso Davies and uh, weakened up there and us at for the most part full strength. But now that I had a few days to think about it, um, I'm not as upset about it. You know, Triple G is still we've still won some massive games over the last year. Does it work all the time? No. What I wish is he just he he'd let he'd let him go. He'd let the he'd let the horses run a little bit, and just see, not see what happens, but see what happens. Um, the lack of consistency from game to game. For instance, we're going to talk about El Salvador, a team at home we should beat three four nothing. Just looked inconsistent, not together. Say it every. I feel like I say it every qualifying um, round here is just our chemistry just doesn't always look like it needs to look. Um, so am I, am I worried because of that game a little bit, but not as bad as I was Sam. Yeah. And I, I don't know how many, I'm guessing a lot of people out there are premier league fans. I, I, I know I am. I know Nate is, it kind of reminded me, and I get that Canada is top of the table, right? Canada is top of the table for a reason. They deserve to be there. But it kind of reminded me of a frustrating day out at, say, Brighton. Where just, you you should, you should be winning. You're not. Things are not going your way. 
if you played the game 10 more times, things would probably go different, but you play the game once. And early on, Canada gets their goal. They're able to play the game that they want to play. They're able to execute their plan the way they want to do it. And you, it things just don't work out in your favor. You can't break through. This seems to be, I, I, I don't know, as far as Burhalter's quote about like, I, I actually loaded the exact quote. If you wouldn't have brought it up, I was going to. So his exact quote was, this game, I can't single anyone out. It was an entire team effort that was dominant. Was it? I, I don't know. I, I think that that was a little bold, and I think that that makes yourself vulnerable to criticism. Do I think Burhalter out is a huge extreme? Absolutely. Right? Absolutely, that's a big extreme. As long as he qualifies for the World Cup, I'm happy. And so far, he's on track to do so. Um, I guess I, I, I don't have too much more to say other than it, it is what it is. It was a game that didn't go our way. And soccer is a game where not every match goes the way that it's supposed to go on paper. And that's why you play the games. It's, it's corny and cliche, but it's a, it's a type of game where if the ball doesn't bounce your way or the right way, it can, it won't go your way. Um, and it felt like that game, like little, couple passes here or there because I feel like I say the same thing every time like we just look disjointed when we shouldn't look disjointed we played enough games together that we shouldn't look disjointed and that was a game where it just we looked disjointed in the final third I I sent a text to you saying do we even practice scoring opportunities in the final third because it just didn't look the part and that's the thing that bugs me and that's where as a coach, I look at this and think, okay, I have a lens that I'm viewing my teams through and a different coach that has different tactics may have a different lens to view things through. And maybe he wanted the U.S. to play exactly that way, but we didn't We didn't dominate in areas that are going to make a difference in the outcome of a game where one team is content and capable of nicking an early goal one way or another, and then sitting compact, looking for the opportunity to nick another one. On a super small field, by the way. Right. Which, but, but again, like they knew that that was going to be the field going in. Right. And they didn't, they tried to get out wide, but their service was poor we played through the wide channels and and time and again, our service was poor. And when we tried to play uh, stuff to the middle, shots were blocked. I mean, it just wasn't, you know, it was Canada was one step ahead of us the entire match. They were a step ahead on 50-50s. They were a step ahead on second balls. They just were prepared to win the parts of the game that they needed to win to get three points. And we weren't prepared to win the parts of the game that we needed to go down and take a point or three points. And so, you know, all credit for me, for the Canadian coach, he's done a fantastic job. I mean, obviously taking Canada who hasn't qualified for the world cup in however many years. And 
they're now at 25 points, a point or two away from qualification. Uh, they can get it in their next match. So all credit to them. But as someone who wants to see the U.S. rise and really live up to this idea that they're, I mean, who really knows what a top 10 world ranking means, right? But like if they're supposed to be a top 10 team in the in the world, they need to go get points out of that or at least be dangerous to get points out of that right uh, we just time and again i feel like we've talked about the fact that we're disjointed that we don't look like we're prepared that we are being outplayed or out tacticianed and that's it's unacceptable given the, the level of class that we have amongst our players even if you're counting the fact that we bring in so many guys from mls right? Those guys are still quality players. We should get more. And the fact that we have coaches whose job it is, is to prepare the squad for, you know, these matches and they have months to prepare, but don't is unacceptable. We shouldn't accept that. All right. So quick prediction, what's Canada's upside? They qualify for the world cup. What's their upside? Where do you see them? Everybody's healthy. Alfonso Davies, and boy, do I hope he gets healthy and gets to play in this World Cup because that would be one of the greatest disappointments of a generation. But Canada, Canada essentially a lock for qualification, assuming they don't get drawn into some sort of group of death. What's their upside? Yeah, I think the the confidence of winning... CONCACAF being the top of the table in CONCACAF that's pretty massive but like you just said I, a lot of it I think a lot of World Cup um, final comes down to what group do you get and who do you get to play um, if Canada's group is let's say easy or uh, you know medium level uh, opponents then I could see them getting out of their group and uh, making a run at it's uh, possibly a quarterfinal. There's plenty of pieces there. They know how to play together. Um, yeah, if they're all together, I think they, they're they dangerous. I, I think I could see Canada making it out of their group if things go their way. As I said earlier, I think they have a game that they want to play. But... I don't see them as I don't see them as being the best team in CONCACAF. I understand they're at the top of the table. I understand there's a good good uh probability that they will finish this on top of the table. But I don't think that they're the best team in CONCACAF yet. I see them making it out of their group stage in the World Cup assuming things go their way. Once they start lining up against teams that can beat them in multiple ways, which could be in the round. Is did we expand teams, or is it still going to be the? No, it's still thirty-two. It's still thirty-two. So it'd be it's, a round of sixteen, and then yeah. the quarterfinals. Okay. If they're lining up against, you, you know, a team that can beat them in multiple ways in the round of sixteen, 
Do I think that they're going to keep going? No, I, I, I think that Canada has its limitations and, and that's fine, right? That's fine. This has been a heat, right? You, you just said they haven't qualified for a world cup in a very long time. This is a huge step up for them, regardless of what happens. It's a huge achievement for them, regardless of what happens. But do I think that they're just going to go to Qatar and set the world on fire, be the Cinderella's and become the world's darlings? No, I I don't predict that that's going to happen. I could see them making it out of the group stage, though. I mean, I think back to Costa Rica and when Costa Rica made, I think they made the quarterfinals, right? And they they won their knockout matches on penalty. I think they even lost on penalties. Like they they took both of those to penalties. And they did that because they had Kaylor Navas in goal, and they had a couple of attacking options that they could hit on the counter. I, you don't need if you're that organized and you have a hot keeper. You don't need a lot. I mean, look at the U.S. and Belgium. You have a hot keeper and you have somebody who can finish who's not offsides, right? And the U.S. is through that match. Quick notes, because we've never talked about it before. But if Klinsman takes Landon Donovan that year, he puts him into the game and scores that goal that Wando shanked. Just saying. He's probably onsides, too. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think. I think they have the potential. I think it totally depends on who they get drawn against. But I I think they're built the same way. And they have the talent in positions that are going to be necessary to get through a couple of rounds. Can they make the semifinals? I don't think so. They're not a top four, uh, not a top four team. But, I mean, look at Croatia. Look at... England. I mean, people didn't expect them to make those runs. Uh, so there's always teams that kind of come out of nowhere that are underappreciated and underevaluated and kind of disrespected. And then they make runs in the World Cup. Uh, you know, South Korea did it the year that they hosted. You, you just you go back through the history and there's there's plenty of teams that have done that. I think Canada can do that. Will I be shocked if they do? No. Will I be shocked if they don't? Probably not either. Uh, because they, they're they just, they haven't proven it on that level. And they're going to get a tough draw because even if they win the group, that's not going to guarantee them more than a, a fourth tier spot. So they're going to have three tough teams in their group. They may not have a group of death situation, but you're probably going to have two European teams and maybe if you're unlucky, a team from South America or like a Senegal who just won the African Cup of Nations who looks dangerous, you want to go play them. So see what happens. All right. El Salvador, 1-0, too close for comfort. Looks like crap at home. We got lucky to nick the goal. Anything you guys want to say about that one? Just the, uh, watching that game made me think that 2018 is still not far enough in our rearview mirrors. It's still there. That's what that made me think of. It's just the pressure is It's what scares me for the next three games is that game, a game we should win, a game we should win going away. 
and it's World Cup qualifying, and we just look tentative and tight when we when we can't we can't look that way anymore. And there's moments where we do. That's all. Yeah, I think it'd be nice to blow them away, but we didn't. So, thank God we won. Amen. Alrighty. Impact player plus MVP of the round. So I want to do two separate. Who made an impact, maybe a splash, maybe something unexpected, and then who's your MVP of the round? Impact in being that I think they solidified their spot. Um, I think it's uh, McKinney, Adams, Polisic. Those three, without a doubt, have their spots. Anthony Robinson was fantastic, I thought. Um, Offensively, defensively, making runs both ways. I think his size, I love his size. Um, Big left back. Uh, that can burn up and down the, on the outside. Um, yeah, I think his the impact of him solidifying his spot is is big for us. I too was super excited to see Adams, McKinney, and Pulisic playing at the same time. I I don't have this stat in front of me, but it, it had been a while. It, it had been a while. We had been waiting for this for a, a good amount of time. I am a Chelsea fan, uh, full, full disclosure there. And Pulisic in Chelsea, it's it's like we're, we're excited and then we're frustrated and then we're excited and then we're frustrated. And with the U.S. men's national team, I, I think we're mostly excited, but I think we've been a little bit underwhelmed uh, during these World Cup qualifiers as far as Pulisic goes. And to see him struggle against Canada... And to come out um, off the bench, and I don't know exactly why he was on the bench, if it was just trying, if it was a game plan thing, or if it was not wanting to, uh, or, or if he was truly benched, maybe he was truly benched based off of his performance versus Canada. But seeing Pulisic come out, I I get that. Right, it was a set piece, and I, I get that it was like his second touch of the game, and he was able to score a goal off of that. And I, I get that that doesn't go, that doesn't even make the conversation for best Pulisic goals or most clutch Pulisic goals or most important Pulisic goals. Seeing him get on the score sheet after a tough game against Canada, I think that will have an impact going forward. Being a Chelsea guy, you do see Pulisic once he gets going. He gets going. Once he gets kind of injured and kind of put away for a while, it's hard to watch him get back. So what I am hoping is, is that by the time these games start back up again, Pulisic is ready to go. He's coming from the confidence of having, you know, just just scored a goal. And I, I get that, unfortunately, the break will, will play a factor there. But I... I guess I, I don't have a total great answer for you guys. I'm I'm sorry, right? I'm I'm supposed to be the experienced podcaster of the bunch. And uh here here I'm not really answering the question. But I think that Pulisic scoring was important. We have to remember how young these guys are too. Yeah. 
I mean, how old is Pulisic? 22 still? 23 yeah. maybe? I mean, they're Early still 20s, trying to yeah. still trying to figure it out. He's playing at a top three club in the world right now. The defending UEFA Champions League. I mean, that team is stacked. That team is arguably loaded. And he's trying to find a spot on there. And he wants to play. He's competitive. He wants to be on the field. He wants to be scoring goals. He wants to be the hero. And when it's not clicking and it's not happening, you get frustrated and it carries over. I, you know, confidence is huge in soccer. Goal scoring is confidence. You know, go back to Pepe. I said play Pepe because he's confident right now. He goes in and scores two goals. I mean, it's it's sometimes just about knowing that when you touch the ball, nobody's going to stop you. And I think between um, El Salvador a little bit, but Canada just, I mean, Ballistic, I, I, I texted Nate and I said he's got to put on some pounds. I mean, they're going to hammer him because you can tell that it affects his gameplay. And I think that's part of it. And I think he just wanted to, you know, keep him on the bench. And if we were for some reason 0 0 in the 65th minute or whatever it was, and that was my, that's, I mean, that was my thinking was that he was going to play super sub that game, which, you know what, every once in a while, that's okay. I mean, look what he did in the first five minutes of his match against Honduras. He comes in, literally the first movement he makes, he loses, I think, two defenders, actually. I'd have to go back and watch the video. He, I mean, he sh- just shakes guys on a throw-in, gets by guys, and then gets chopped down. So his first contribution is a touch, and he's in, and he gets chopped down, because that's all they can do. And then gets... uh you know, within the next couple minutes is the corner and the goal. And it, it may have been even that the corner came out. I can't remember exactly the sequence, but that the corner came from the free kick resulted from the free kick where he was chopped down and then he scores, right? It was less than a couple minutes between when he came on and when he scores. So yes, it's instant impact. It's gotta be, it's just gotta be about belief. And the impact player for me, because of that is Weston McKinney. He is a head and shoulders above everybody else right now. Uh, and that's super fun to watch, and it's super fun to see him doing well for Juve, and it's super fun to see him well doing well for the United States. Uh, and he's he's our engine right now; he is our motor. Uh, I agree. And so he's for me, he's the impact player, and Jedi Robinson is the MVP because he's. I mean, those two guys have cemented like unless they are hurt, they need to start every match um, that is meaningful between now and uh, Qatar. Anthony Robinson being Jedi Robinson. We said the same guy. We just said yeah. different. Yeah. yeah. He apparently sure wants to go by Jedi understand. He, he apparently wants to go by Jedi Robinson. Now. It's a cool name. I like it. Yeah. Jedi I, Star I, Wars fan, but I want to cool. go by Jedi Sam going forward. Just throwing All right, that out Jedi there. Sam. All right, Jedi Sam. Jedi Pfeiffer. Yeah, MVP was McKinney for me. Easily. I yeah, I th- I think McKinney has been all of our MVPs. Survivor. Now that now that those girls are out of his hotel room or whatever that was, <laughs> we're young, Sam. Uh, no, no, no. Young yeah, mistakes. I, I get it. Uh, Survivor. I, I mean, hold on, hold on. Oh. I don't get it, but I get how if you are in the position uh, to be in that situation. Uh, um, Survivor. I, I forget oh. what. Sur- I remember you guys talking about Survivor. It's but, kind of this thing I started. I forget what game started it for me, but um, it, it was one of the first games we played. Uh, the first or second game we played, 
Um, I just had I had a thought when I was watching it that it's just when you start when you start a qualifying octagonal, it's like starting the game of Survivor. You're just trying to survive and not get booted out immediately. You're trying to figure out your way. You're trying to find out what the best path to victory is going to be, and that's kind of what octagonal qualifying is. There's going to be bumps along the way. There's going to be highs. There's going to be lows, and that's the game of Survivor. I don't know if you've ever watched Survivor, but I've been kind of going down this path here. Um, Outwit, I, I, outplay, outlast. That's yeah. it. That's it. Yeah. Okay, so we're just trying to be final. We're trying to be the final three, basically. We don't, we don't even need to win the thing. We're just trying to be final three at this point. Um, but I made a comment in the last episode. I said, in the Canada game, he's going to have to play his immunity challenge, and he's got to put somebody in in a big moment. And it was a one nothing game. He put Pepe in. Everybody got excited, and Nate texted me, um, and Pepe had that little glimpse of a chance, and he crushed it a mile high above the net. But that was that moment right there, I thought, where if he just settles himself and just places it, it might go in. He went for power instead of precision, and that was that was that moment that I was looking at with Survivor. Uh, going forward here, we're in the final five, all right? We're in the final five. We have a couple immunity challenges left. We need to win one of these immunity challenges, if not both. We've been a big player. We're get, they're going to be looking to get us out. We have a good final argument to win the game. Um, we need to we need to win one of these immunity challenges. They're going to be difficult, probably an endurance, probably a stamina. The Panama game is uh, exactly what I'm talking about here, not the Mexico game. You know what? We go down there, take a point, we get a win. I'm going to be ecstatic. Um, but the Panama game is... Um, the, the survivor metaphor right here. Um, that's going to be, we need to bring our A game. If we do that, we're final three, we final argument and uh, maybe we win survivor in a million dollars and go to the world cup. I'm going to Disneyland. Disney world. Whatever. East coast. People say Disney world. Whatever. I'm not from the East coast. West I'm coast. Baby. And I, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just say, uh, Nate, you do Survivor. I, I'm, I'm not totally following. Like, I get it, I get it, but I, Nate doesn't do I Survivor. Watched, I don't do Survivor. I never watched it's Survivor. Just my little bit. Okay, so never so seen I don't it. Have to do Survivor. If any of our listeners have, have seen it, good. But I just try to explain it because I just, just started thing, it. It's just a thing that Joe does. Okay, it, it really that is. that's good. I, I'm good. Okay. It would have been nice to see Jedi Sam come up with something there, though. Oh, you know? that would have been so great. Contribution. It would have been great. For next time. It, for next time. I, it just is. I watched season one. That was it. How Richard Hatch, was man. One? Uh, 2000, 2000, 2001. Um, I started watching okay. season two, which started right after the Giants-Ravens Super Bowl. I'm a Giants fan, so I, was, I remember watching that Super Bowl being miserable and then seeing the previews for Survivor. They did. They used to do it. The first episode was, I think, right after the Super Bowl. Um, they wanted to bring in as many people as possible early on in that, that series of the show. So they did it right afterwards. And I watched pretty much everyone from season two. They're on like 40, 41, something like that now. So Sure. And I know people like the show, right? It's like, intriguing. I, I've, heard, I've heard it holds up. I watched the first season with my parents. And I, I, we, I remember loving it. I remember being jacked for it like every night that it came on. And we might have watched season two. Um, I feel like season two might have had like a guy that had a big Texas flag or something like that. If if that rings a bell, Colby. Yeah, that maybe sounds about right. 
I don't know. So maybe we watched season two. And, and then I think my parents and I, I would have been like eighth grade, something like that. I think my parents kind of were ready to move on to something else after season two. And then I never watched it again. So I know what Survivor is. I remember Alliances. I remember Torches. I remember that host that like looks like he hasn't aged in 20 years, but I, I don't remember much. We call else. them vampires. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. Jeff Probst. Yeah, Jeff Probst. Love, he's a great host. I, I always worry about manipulation when it comes to reality shows. I feel like they can manipulate it and they can kind of, producers can kind of change the game. I feel like Survivor is, for the most part, very hard to manipulate because you just don't know what people are thinking. It's a game of paranoia. It's a game of um, tactical thinking and tactical um, social play. And I, I just, I find it intriguing so I, I like i said i i the first one of the, the first game we played in the octagonal it just came to mind and i've kind of gone with it yeah and i i remember the episode i i am a fan of the podligans so i i do remember you bringing that up but because shout out to the survivor fans out there huh also quick note of nostradamus here uh Pulisic did score in the 67th minute of the Honduras game. And if you go back to the last episode, somebody here said Polistic was going to score in the 67th minutes. I did say one nothing. I didn't know set pieces were going to start working all of a sudden. So my fault. But 67th minute, Polistic. Nostradamus will be back in a month, ready for three games. Do you want to be Joe Stradamus or Lopestradamus? Lopestradamus. Lopestradamus. All right. You heard it first here from Lopestradamus. Jedi Sam. Jedi Sam. And in Pulisic in the super sub role, it works. It, it does work. I don't want to see it yeah. often, but it works. As a as a Chelsea fan, it's kind of one of those things where it you, you know, and I, I have a Pulisic jersey. It, I, I'm I'm super excited for Pulisic. I, I'm I'm jacked for the guy, but as much as I want to see him starting, I typically see what I want when he comes on in that super sub role. It's, it's, you know, it's hard. It's tough. It's, it's tough to admit. I, I hear you. You know, my connection with Pulisic, right? You remember that from the first episode? Uh, oh my gosh. I'm, I'm I have going a, back. I have a pretty hometown close. We played in the same youth program. We really we both came up through Hershey. Yeah. Wow. I played until I was 13. I'm 20 years older than him. Well, 18, 17 or 18. So when I was, Finishing up, he wasn't alive yet, but yeah. So we're, we're Hershey boys, we're Hershey Trojans. There you go. Very good. There you go. I had not picked up on that. I do. I do remember you saying that Pulisic was your guy. I do remember that from the first episode, and because of that, you said you've been following Chelsea lately. But yep, yep. All right. Well. This brings us to another close of an episode of the American Pavigans. Stick with us. We are planning uh, not one, but two preview episodes for that final round of qualifying. One where we'll look at who may be a lock to get on a potential airplane to Qatar. Got to lock some things up first. Uh, and then the other where we do our traditional preview of that last round of qualifying that qualifying round begins on March 24th. So look for 
another episode from the American Publicans coming up here pretty quick. Again, want to extend a big thank you to our friend Sam of Pot on You Loons, getting us going, supporting us, uh, posting some of our content on uh, the Pot on You Loons platform. So thank you, Sam. We appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, absolutely. That's fun. Give us a follow on Twitter. Interact with us. We are at USA Pobligans. That is at USA Pobligans on Twitter. Got some good stuff going on during the playing rounds. He is Joe. I am Nate. With that, we are going to say adieu. Thanks for listening. See you next time.